and uh, I learn a lot most of the time. But uh, an article I was reading recently in a Christian magazine uh, is, is forming the basis of much of what um, I felt was right to share tonight. It's called talking about Christian contentment. Uh, contentment's a word that's thrown around and something that probably everyone wants or desires. But the fact is we're in a world of wants and, and we look at other people and we think they might have more. And I just want to talk a little bit um, about that this morning as we uh, come to communion. A TV show in America, um, and also been shown here in England, is Mad Men. Anyone seen Mad Men? No? Yeah. Yep. You know what it stands for? Madison Avenue. And so it's Mad Men. Madison Avenue Men. And the reason for that is because all the advertising agencies back in the day were on Madison Avenue in New York, and it's about the world of advertising. One of the main characters is a man called Don Draper, right? And um, he said that advertising is based on one thing, happiness. They try and get you to to buy something because they say it's going to make you happy. Okay, we see the adverts, we take them in. Adverts for perfect homes. uh, They have perfect people in those homes with their perfect lives. And you can feel cheated when we compare our our own lives with theirs, with our own lives, with our not-so-perfect homes, and our lives are sometimes broken pieces. And it can leave you discouraged, challenged in faith, and questioning, because, you know, isn't the promise that I should be contented? And you see, our prevailing culture pushes this kind of agenda of contentment. It's a narrative at us, always looking for the next best thing. The next thing is going to make you happy. It's going to make you content, keep striving, whether it's an exciting relationship, new job, new home. Uh, It's this narrative that places contentment firmly dependent on your circumstances. And so therefore, if your circumstances change, your contentment can can, uh, evaporate. We scroll down social media feeds. We can allow ourselves to believe the deception that what we have already isn't good enough. And so we're not going to be content because we want more. And we can compare and then find ourselves wanting. That person on Instagram is more attractive, has more friends, a nicer home, better children and great holidays. All backed up with carefully filtered pictures, making it all look so perfect. And I can tell you as a minister that behind closed doors, pretty much everybody has some sort of issue or another. No one's quite perfect yet. But of course, all this leads to a bit of restlessness, because how come they've got it and I haven't? And contentment for who we are already and what we have seems to be further away than ever. And so we give in. We go and buy the thing that's going to make us happy, decorate the home, search for a partner, reach for the things that will give us that peace that we can't seem to find. And a sense of entitlement takes over. It can even come into our Christian uh, thinking. Faith in God, some would say, should increase my comfort, my well-being, and all should be good, and I'll get rich. And some people go on TV, preachers, and they will preach that. And when that doesn't happen, the story unfolds and fragile faith is shattered. We don't bring up healthy Christians to say, actually, sometimes it is tough, but God promises to stand with you in that. The things in life will not bring contentment. There's a famous atheist, probably the most famous atheist, a man called Bertrand Russell, and he admitted that at the centre of me is always and eternally in terrible pain, a curious and wild pain, a searching for something beyond what the world contains. There's an atheist saying, the world cannot fill this gaping hole in me, yet he's an atheist. But even when things are great, we can still feel a yearning for more. I know plenty of times in my life when everything's going quite smoothly, but you still feel 
there's something more or someone more. And as we approach communion tonight, what or who is the answer? Well, we know it's going to be God. Um, But how do we cultivate that contentment as Christians? Paul writes in Philippians 4.11, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. He'd been both, you see. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether we well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. That is the opposite of what the world wants to tell you through social media, newspapers, adverts, madmen. The world says you need more. You need to have more. Everyone else has got more, so you need to work harder and, and go and get it. And this living in the moment, which is a bit of a, a new thing, isn't it? Mindfulness. You heard that term, mindfulness? It's good. You know, you should give it. It's all right. But it's nothing new under the sun, is it? Jesus spoke about this 2,000 years ago, about you know, living for today. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. You can't change the past, so what's the point in worrying about it? Jesus can deal with the past. He's with you in the present. He's certainly dealt with your future. Mindfulness. Jesus said it about 2,000 years ago. just called it something different. When Paul wrote those words that I read out in Philippians, he had himself had his own world turned upside down. He'd been a man of privilege and he became a man of hardship. So these are not weak words. He's not someone who's, who's actually got it all and says, well, I could, I, could, you know, I could live whatever way. He had immense privilege that turned to hardship because of Christ. Yet he said, I've learned to have plenty. I've learned to have not so much, but I've learned to be content whatever my circumstances. He wrote those words from prison. Again, not some soft-centred narrative that just, you know, well, things are going well for me, so I'm going to preach to you about how you should be content in any way. He's locked up. He's in prison. Okay, and he had huge privilege. He's in prison for Christ. For all he knew, he's going to get murdered the next day. Yet he's content. His worldview had been turned upside down. If you go back in Philippians 3, 5 to 10, he talks about how he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. Changed from that. He's like the top Jew. He knew everything. He went from that to be a prisoner, as he is now, for the sake of Christ. Yet he considered his past of no value compared to the surpassing worth of knowing and being found in Christ. So he's, he, he'd had privilege, He's now in a bit of trouble. He doesn't know how long he's got to live. He's locked up. He had all that proof. He said, it, was, it means nothing to me apart from my relationship with Christ. That's the most important thing. We know that he had a thorn in the flesh, which he wanted taken away. It never was. So life wasn't just always easy and rosy and rose-tinted spectacles that God would just do anything for him. He wanted that taken away, that thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, but it wasn't. And he found himself in darkness, yet God speaks to him, impressed on him that God's grace was sufficient and his power, in 2 Corinthians 12, was made perfect in weakness. There's a theology of suffering, which we don't like to talk about. Sometimes people suffer. Sometimes people suffer and they're not content because they're suffering or things are not going their way. This is a deep spiritual truth. That rather than contentment being for those with the rose-tinted lives, which are not real anyway, it is in fact available to all of us, whatever our circumstances. That, that's what Paul, that's what Paul had grasped, in spite of and undeterred by sometimes brokenness. Paul describes it in Philippians 4 verse 7 as a peace beyond understanding. A peace that can light up in the darkness, that consoles in the depths, 
and find treasure in sometimes the darkest places. Life is just not always rosy. And if you're only content when it really is on the up and up, most of your life, you're not going to be content. Because life is, is a struggle sometimes. And the Christian or holy contentment, I think, is something to be cultivated, nurtured and learned. We have to be intentional about it. I have to choose to be content with what I have at the moment. And I'm not saying I don't want the blessings. Of course I do. You know, if you offer me a new car, I'll take it. Um, but it's not going to be, I can't be content unless I get that new car. It's got to be a change in the mindset. Okay? And it's by thought and action. Confident contentment. What does that mean? Confident contentment means whatever's happening in my life now, whatever I've got or haven't got, the Lord reigns. And I've got what I'm supposed to have. And that could be a period of blessing and plenty, and I don't need to feel guilty about it. It could be nothing, and I don't need to feel condemned about it. Paul learned with plenty, and he learned with nothing. That's confident contentment. Courageous contentment is to say, well, I'm going to be content because the Lord lives in me, whatever's going on. And I choose to be content today. I choose to be thankful today for what I have instead of holding on to the resentment for what I haven't got. Because actually what I've got around this table is everything. Everything I'll ever need. And then contagious contentment. You know, if you are content, if you nurture this, um, you're going to be quite attractive. I don't mean in the physical sense, you may well be. But if if you're like me, you won't. Um, But as a character, you will. Because it's different to the world. The world is always looking for more. The world always thinks it deserves more. The world is telling you that you need more. Um, But you're rich already. We we are. We're in a warm building. We've got lights. We've got musicians. We've got instruments. Um, We've got a nice (coughs) lectern. You know, it's people with a lot less than any of that. No even building to meet in. Full of joy. Full of contentment. Because they put God first. And they know that with him, they've got everything they need. And it might be there's difficulties in this life. And we don't like to talk about that much, but God can be found in those difficulties. And maybe sometimes we just need to embrace them. You know, we pray prayers, get us out of this and get us out of that and heal it. And I'm up for all of that. But actually, in, in, in sometimes the pain and sometimes the suffering and sometimes the low points, God is speaking to us and we miss him because we're looking for the tomorrow or the next week or the next blessing. And I'm up for blessing. Don't get me wrong. I'll pray for anything. Um, but I can miss today. I can miss today. And you know that story about that, you know, someone gets born and well, if only I could find the right partner, then I'll be happy so they get married. If only we could have the, you know, the perfect kids, then I'll be happy they have kids, find out they cost you a lot of money. And then oh, once the kids leave, then we'll have some time on our own, then I'll be happy and the kids leave. Oh, now the kids have left, you know, it's all a bit of a pain and, you know, bit boring, really. Oh, no. Well, maybe once I retire, we'll spend even more time together. And then they retire. Then they retire, and the body begins to fast. Or maybe if, you know, I get a bit better, then we can enjoy life. Falling out on their deathbed, and they, they look back and say, why don't I just enjoy it? Why don't I just live in, live in the moment all those times? It's great being single. It's great, great being in a relationship. It's great not having kids. It's great having kids. It's great to have a job. It's great to retire. But I'm going I'm to live for the moment in all of it. If I'm always looking to the future, I'm never living in the present. And today is a gift. Every day is a gift. You know, there's no guarantee I'm waking up tomorrow. I hope so. But there's no guarantee. Today is a gift. It's a gift from God. 
So that would be contagious contentment. Imagine if you were just thankful for stuff. You know, I don't need that new car. I'd like it. I don't need it. I'm content with what I've got. I've got quite a nice car, to be fair, but that's not the point. Um, (laughs) The point I'm making is, is that whatever we've got now, if we can live in this moment and be content with what we've got, you're actually going to be a lot happier. Uh, And rather than wishing for the never-never, or maybe at some point, but then maybe five years has passed, you missed the five years. And actually, do you know what? When you do get that new car, the smell wears off pretty quick, or the new job, or the new partner, or whatever it is. And actually, you've missed all this time. Today is the day the Lord has made. Every day is a gift. And if we can be a grateful people, content with what we've had, uh, we'll, we'll be a lot more centred on Christ and just being grateful for what we've already got. And the true contentment, which we're recognising this evening, is only found in Christ. That's true contentment. Not things, not assets, not the yearning, not the jealousy, not the envy, not the perfectionism. You cannot attain that. But you can have your relationship with Christ. It's only found in Christ. And it's to him that we're going to come to around this communion table as we remember what he's done for us that we need to remember we're to be grateful and we can live in this moment, share this bread and wine together as brothers and sisters because of what Christ has done. That's true contentment. It's finished, is the cry of the cross. I'm going to pray for us and Joan will come up and lead us some more. Father, when we look at the Apostle Paul, someone who had so much, was so well educated, had uh, rounding up Christians at the beginning and helping them get killed. Um, yet he has an encounter with you and he, he recognises that all of his knowledge, all of his schooling, all of his wealth, everything he had was nothing compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing you. And so in that, even when he's writing from prison, even when he doesn't know how long he's got to live, even though he's in pain, even though he's got his thorn in his, in his side, he said, I've learned to be content whatever my circumstances and in a world that throws all its messages at us, that gets us depressed because we cannot attain to those standards and neither should we. I pray, Lord, for that Christian contentment that says, you know, I'm okay. I've got whatever you've thrown at me, I can take. I've got you. Whatever the circumstances I find myself in, I'm not alone. And I th- we thank you, Lord, that you never leave us or forsake us. You're with us always. As we gather later around the communion table, we thank you so much for your sacrifice which shows just how much you love us. And in that, we can find our true contentment. In Jesus' name, amen.